to Mr. Richard Earnshaw. Thank you again. Sorry about that, brother. We got to pay the sponsors too. <laughs> oh, don't worry. He gave me a chance to just have a couple of swigs on the old beer. So people are saying, holy smoke, they're hearing you talk this technical stuff and it's great, you know, about swishing. And so, you know, let's ask this question. Emotionally, if you're not feeling right, like you're on the bike and you're not feeling emotionally right. Are you able to step in and start writing? You know, I mean, can you can you just turn it on? Or, or should I say, are you able to shut that off and you know get into those modes of just being professional and writing or whatever you're doing? Mm, I would say no, not really. Um, what I tend to find myself doing if I'm, you know, hitting some kind of wall, I will sort of step back from it, you know, I might deal with some stuff like, oh, you know, updating all the software, make sure everything's on song, just testing a few things, you know, the stuff that is just tick, you know, ticking the boxes, maintenance. Um, I might set up some sessions that I know that are coming up that I've got to do. It's like, well, I'll just get the stems in for that or I'll, I'll dive on. There's a, this is, actually, this is another thing to show. This is brilliant. So under here, that is an old G4 um, from, I think that's 21 years old now. I think it's 21 years old, which runs still, I've still got my old TDM Pro Tools here as well, as, as much as the, the new stuff. Um, so there might be some old tape, data tapes that I need to grab stems off, you know, so I just kind of go through the process of those annoying things that are on the to-do list and just give myself some space, you know. Sometimes I'll I'll work on a record. Um, like for example, literally last week just finished um, a new track with Mike City. Now, believe it or not, we originally connected on this record, and he did the vocals three years ago. I think it's about three years ago. Okay, and maybe even longer. Um, and you know, and you get it to a certain point, and then I you start to question certain things. And I was like, ah, oh, I'm not sure if this is where it wants to go, or I'm not sure if it's doing this. And in the end, you just have to walk away from this stuff and go, it will all come good in the end. Uh, just for some reason, I'm still too close to the elephant, and all I can see is gray. So I'm just going to step back and just. Do you know why you know. I ask you this question? I'll tell you why I'm asking this question this way and I pose it to you, you know, about the emotion or the mundane process of running a studio and everything and maintenance. People see only what they see. It's like the goldfish in the glass bowl. You know, everything looks beautiful, clean, serene. You know, the records are coming out. Everything's perfect. But they don't really understand the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty that goes on behind the scenes of dealing with, I can't deal with that right now. Damn it, I want to I want to play this part, but not feeling it. Or you played the part and you come back two hours later and you go, uh-uh. You know what I'm saying? It's just, that's mm. not what I'm feeling. And There's some, some mixes that I've done, like remix-wise, uh, over the years. The, the version that is heard by the consumer, the buyer, the listener, might be in, there might be third, fourth generation ideas. I may have done a remix and then I've got it almost ready. And I, and this has happened and I come away and I, then I come back to it and I just think, nah, when I left this room last night, I was convinced that this vibe was on 
And I come back in this morning and I'm just like, no. And I can't, you know, it's, there is a problem, I think, that most um, artists, producers, songwriters, um, you know, musicians have, which is constantly looking for that level of perfection. I know that I've been trapped uh, before at a point where you think, no, it's not, it's not right, it's not perfect. But then you have to then have the maturity, I suppose, is something that has become easier as I've got older, to go, I've got to draw a line under this now. This, in the year of 20, you know, 20 or 2021, this record is now at the very best point I can get it. You know, so in the Lord's year of 2021, we're at that point where you say, I'm very <laughs> yeah. happy to say, it's as good as it's going to be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just recognizing when you reach that stage. Okay, so let's step back in time. You start with, you know, Sulfuric and you go all the way to Duff Note. You've also come from the vinyl generation because that's, you're an analog baby in a sense. Analog baby, grew do the whole analog thing and moved into digital. What was that like for you? You know, coming out of analog, vinyl, you know, all that stuff. Where, what was the thought to change and everything that happened for you? Well, I mean, obviously it was extremely challenging. But when we set up uh, the Duff Note sort of uh, limited company um, and obviously the labels affiliated with it, it was 2003. So in 2003, we were sort of getting all the rumour about iTunes in the UK. There's this thing that Apple are doing. You know, they've got all this music. It's all digital. You know, what, you know what's it going to do? And we were just like, well, I don't know because it's not happened yet. But we are in the business of making music. How the music is distributed, how it's packaged and how it's heard is at the hands of the gods because it changes all the time. You know, we've had vinyl, we've had cassette, we've had open reel, we've had a track, we've had, you know, pirated MP3s, we've had MP4s, AACs, FLAC, WAV, AIFF, you know, we've had it all. And it's all been either sold or given away or ripped off or whatever. So we were just like, let's just see what happens. You know, we will still make music. And if there is a move that goes to a, a non-tangible product, which at the time was a, the download, then great, you know, we don't have to spend time um, thinking about, right, who's, you know, is the engineer available to get the, the metalheads, you know, cut, you know, oh, blah, 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 all the, all the stuff and the expense, of course, you know, you would be spending right. two or three thousand pounds on your release before you'd even got it out the door. Wait, 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 let me clarify that. Listen to what Mr. Earnshaw said. You're already into almost two to three thousand pounds. Yeah, deficit. Yeah, you had to pay money. Yeah. I mean, you know, real money, not pretend like we're on the internet, you know, playing with Bitcoin. We're talking real money. Actual money had to be passed from one party to another in order to eventually get that little box of vinyls, where vinyl, sorry, where you then stick it in your car 
and you drive into London and you go around to all the usual shops, your uptown, you know, your black market, city sounds, all these places, and go, all right, guys, you know, got boxes, and they would eat, some of them would buy you, buy the box, 25 off you, maybe take 50, or they would go, well, we'll buy 25, we'll take another 50 on sale and return, blah, blah, blah. So it was, you were constantly managing, you know, where money was and where stuff was happening and all this kind of stuff. So the download process, what we could see that was very likely going to happen, we were just like, oh, this is going to make life a lot easier. <laughs> you know, it's going to make I life so much easier. Because we all said the same thing. Wow, this is going to make... But then we went. Um, and then... It's on the journey. Go ahead. But so. Again, we, we were just very focused on the fact, well, we're making music. That's what we're going to do. So even if in tw- 10 years' time we're selling music on bits of cheese, which essentially was effectively like a, the dairy version of the USB stick, um, you know, it really didn't matter how things were going to get sold. The streaming thing, obviously the streaming model is extremely disruptive for certain areas of the music industry, not least the um, remuneration to the music makers, which we all know about the royalty rates and all that kind of stuff. But again, we try not to allow ourselves to become disillusioned by the negativity that is surrounding the streaming model. We use the streaming model to work for us as opposed to trying to fight against it. You know, yeah, of course, it would be nice to get more royalties, but you know what? Things have a habit of sorting themselves out. They just do at the end of the day. Um, You know, it's been brilliant for, you know, the playlists, you know, in terms of synchronization as well for certain things, perhaps not with the house music, but with the other stuff that we're doing. If things are on the on Spotify, it's very, very easy. You get it to those um, companies or the, you know, the sync agents and states, all these, and it's, you know, it's, it's become a tool for us. Um, but I think that everything seems to be showing signs of coexisting a little bit easier. Streaming does what it does for the streaming. People still want to do the downloads. The vinyl thing has kicked off again, which is great because you've got people that are now seeking to actually own something, you know, for for the money they spend. But here's the thing about the vinyl side. Is the vinyl side comparable to the way it was back in the day? No. No, it's a completely different thing. Can you tell people what the kind of numbers back in the day, when I say back in the day, 20... If you go back in your spaceship 20 years back, what were the numbers on a good release moving? uh, The amount of, uh, should I say, quantity? How many pieces were we moving? I mean, you'd be, if you know, an established branded label with an established artist, you'd be shifting tens of thousands of units of vinyl. You hear that, everyone? You know, it was, it was, it was. um, And a record never heard radio. That was just. Club scene. That was just the clubs, yeah. Right. Um, so it's, it. I think, but you know, you kind of the 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 numbers are still there, as in not just not vinyl, but the people that want the music. Sure, sure, but they don't have you know, it. It's, the thing that I'm quite intrigued with at the moment is is obviously this sort of testing of the water with. Um, streaming music to the hardware into a cache and then using that in the clubs. So then you, it's effectively, you don't even have to pay for a download. I'm not sure about that at the moment. I'm certainly not going to poo-poo the idea if it, as, as something that may happen down the road because it would be, you know, it would be professional suicide 
to not embrace the move in technology and how things are happening. Um, so it's it's interesting that one because technology, you know, internet, it's not reliable. You know, it's you know there there, there are certain uh, things that I, I look at it and go, hmm, I'll let some other people try this one out first and see how it goes. On the sidelines and wait to see how it starts. If it jumps off, then you'll implement your stuff and your business yeah. will go that direction. But in the, in running it from a from you know three sixty sense, the majors see it one way. They want a piece of everything now. Mm. They realize that there's not enough in just you know what I'm talking about. They just don't have enough in just the actual record sales. For them, it's not enough. They want a piece of everything, merchandising the whole deal. Which lends us to to our world, which is not of that grandeur, except only when we have records that cross over ground. Mm. You know? and, and nowadays, a lot of those records are not doing it quite yet because our sound is becoming more of the sound that people are sorting after. Because as you know, many of them see EDM and all the electronic, you know, the big raves and all that stuff is the big money. And that's what draws in the big dollars. Okay. Ours has always been more of the niche sense of it, you know, where you had a good vinyl business that you didn't have to go run out and DJ every week. You can make a good living. Mm. But that stopped, you know, that changes. Saying that, you said something so important. You didn't have to make the financial investments and be into records with with possibilities of losing your shirt, which happens a lot back then compared to now. Now you're doing more. You're doing the music and you're able to get it mass produced without having to use third parties. Are you happy with that? Because for me, as much as I embrace all the digital content, I still don't particularly, I'm not fond of it. I'd rather have the old setup sometimes. And it's not because I'm old, in a sense. <laughs> I just like the idea of making constant money like that. It was nice to have the, the independent record labels cut big checks because they would make money. But when everybody's money train dried up, and the digital world became this. Now you can not only make the record, you can you can be the writer, producer, the remixer, the AR person, the promotions person. It's like all you do all day is change your hats. Yeah. And the music side became less and less and less. You know what I'm saying, Richard? So it's tough. Even for guys like myself, we say it's cool. I mean, I like this one man band stuff, but at times I'm like, no, I rather have, I rather go sit down with A and R people like we used to and laugh and play stuff. But I know it'll never come back. It's like the steam engine that's long gone. I get it. You know, I think there's definitely some of you know my professional friends and acquaintances that either are artists or labels are definitely moving towards a more human connection with the process of making and distributing music because we have all basically been glued to our laptops for some time now and think that's all I need. You know, I've got my, I've got my, my software, I've got my samples, I've got my, my login for the upload and I've got my logins for my social media. So that's 
basically everything covered. Product, distribution, marketing, bosh, done. But it's, you know, it's an incredibly insular way of existing. You know, musicians in particular um, thrive off the energy of other musicians. You know, you get in the studio and you you play with your musician mates and that has, I think, maybe the need to bring that back has actually been a positive side to what has happened throughout the pandemic when everybody has been told, don't see anyone. And because we've all been stuck with a black mirror going, I don't need to see anybody because I've got this, da, da, da. But when they've realised that they've actually been told, you cannot see anyone, you're not allowed to hug your own family, you can't go to the pub, you can't go to the restaurant, you can't do this, you can't do that, da, 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 da. And now as things are starting to unfold, I do get a feeling that people are like, oh, I just want to, I want to feel like those guys in that picture that I saw on Abbey Road in 1983 in the, you know, studio. I, I want to see, I want to feel like they look that buzz, that energy of what's going on. You know, I think there's definitely a lot of, you know, um, wiggle space to reintroduce a much, you know, to rehumanize the process of the music business. Personally, I may be talking products, but somebody's going to say it. And I'm, I'm definitely like, if people want to come in, get into the studio and be here, you know, it's like even just, you know, attended mix downs and things like that. Learn something, you know, don't send your, um, your pre-master to one of those online, we'll master it with our most incredible algorithms thing, because nobody's actually listening to it. You, you know? mean, like yeah. 10 quid, you can have your stuff sound as amazing as the guy from Bernie Grunman. You know, it's nobody actually listening to it. You know, you know, you learn so much. I learned so much by being in studios with people. I learned so much by, you know, going to those record shops and trying to sell them my art, my work. You know, I learned so much from speaking to promotions and marketing people, meeting them, you know, making flyers, trying to get ads in DJ Mag and Mix Mag and IDJ and all this kind of stuff. You, There is so much to be learned there. In the same way that I can learn so much now from the people that know how to target their audience on social media, how they do this, how they do that. You know, all these things are now very much at the forefront of the way that we market music. You know, if you'd show me all this stuff sort of 10, 15 years ago, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. No, it's not happening. No, just... Yeah. Get this yeah. out of my face now. Just like yeah. I told them when they asked me about playing CDs, I said never. What yeah. with that as long as I yeah. live? It's, um, I think... It's you know, it's there's. Um, I think there's there's a lot to be learned from, you know, because there's always the you know the very public tit for tat. You know, vinyl's better, this is better, that's better. And I'm just like, hey guys, do you know what? You can learn so much from each other, applying the older model to the new model, and vice versa. And I think if there's you know a much more of a creative melting pot of information being shared among people will make just the whole thing it'll just be a greater energy I think a greater buzz across the board you know it's like even things like ADE for example now you know we've been going for donkey's years and I often get asked oh, is it worth going and I'm like well 
if you want to actually see the actual face, smell the armpit of that email address that you've been getting for the last five years, then it's absolutely worth it. Because when you go there, they will come away from there. They're, you're no, they're no longer an email address. They're an actual person. You know, it's there's a lot to be said for getting out and amongst it, you know, supporting your the artists that you like, um, going to the places where they're DJing. You know, that's, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot to be said for thinking very, you know, outside of your own securities and your own bubble, which is where we've all spent a lot of time for so long because it's suddenly everything changed so quickly. It's yeah. like, I've got to take care of myself. I've got to look after my own thing now to try and keep that safe. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, just sort of squeeze out of it every now and again. You know, it's, um, you know, support the new DJs, the new artists that are DJing. You know, when we do our art culture stuff, we get asked a lot, you know, it'll be great to play. And we do, you know, when, when we can and the, the venue and the situation allows, we'll bring people in that are, you know, may have never even been behind a pair of decks before in public. You know, and it's, and there's, you know, there's been one or two that have gone on to do some great things. And it's lovely to see them flourish when all you did was just give them the, the opportunity to go, look, there's some technology. Take some time to wipe the sweat off your brow, shit yourself, whatever you need to do, but then just do what you do best and play some great music. Mate, I love what you guys say. <laughs> do your worst. So it's, um, I think everybody just needs to get out there and just, you know. Okay. So who gave you and how did it begin for you with the turntables to the pioneer generation? What was that for you? Because we understand your musical background, but so where did the DJing start? The DJ was just something that I enjoyed as essentially a bedroom hobby. I never, for a minute, not even a second, took it seriously as a, a career, uh, you know, path. Um, and again, it was Brian, Brian Tappert. He was like, "Do you DJ?" And I was like, "Yeah, you know, I enjoy spinning every hour, but I, you know, I've never played in public or anything like that. I just enjoy okay. you know, mixing some music." And he was like. He's like, bro, get it sorted. Get out there. He said, you will see the world. You will experience some incredible stuff. You, you're, the energy that you'll get from listening to music and being in venues and meeting all these people will only serve you positively with the music-making process. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll give it a go. And you know, and so, so to say the truth, Brian's kind of mentored a little bit your, your journey. He has massively, yeah. Because I had literally no idea what I was doing, really, until that point. I was just a bloke with big red hair, just playing the piano and putting some <laughs> drums behind stuff. You know, I was, you know, I could have been sort of rattling around like a sausage yeah. in a bucket for years. <laughs> Wait, they should have called you simply Red Two. <laughs> yeah. So no, Brian, he was so, he played such a massive part, such a positive part, right at the beginning. Um. Because I think maybe he recognised that I didn't know what I was doing either, and just thought, you know, I think there's perhaps this guy's got talent. We need to just help him harness what's going on here and sort of get a feel for this environment that we're about to catapult him into. Let's go back in time. So you've been in London shops around eighty eight, eighty nine. 
what's the first clubs you go to to see this this house thing? It's got to be first club. What did you see? Gosh, I think probably the first club. Um, we're going back to sort of early ministry, um, Turnmills, those two in particular. I mean, I played at Turnmills a few times and it was such an amazing club. You know, when I actually did play there, I was like, that's a definite bucket list thing for me. Um, but it, it all, all, you know, truth be known, when I was at university, I was playing rugby and I was too drunk to go anywhere. I was a slow starter, let's put it that way. <laughs> but it's you know I would never you know I wouldn't change a thing if I'm honest you know the whole you know, I started DJing when I was three years old in you know and it's blah blah and I'm like brilliant well do you know what when I was one I probably did this on the piano does that mean I started playing piano when I was one <laughs> you tinkered with the I tinkered yeah I think it's uh it's just a, a wonderful um, organic growth, I think, that I've experienced, you know, because there was no, um, I think in the most part, the lack of social media was, was a great thing because there was no pressure on me by seeing how quickly other people were achieving what they were hoping to achieve. You know, I was literally just in a room with some synths, an old Atari ST, and I was just making music for the love of making music. My motivation was to basically hold a DAT tape at the end of it and go, there it is. Now what? You know, okay. that, was, that was the goal. So, so let's just say in a, in a perfect world that didn't go that direction, what career would you have gone into if you weren't going to go into the music, if the music didn't turn on? Because we were all in that time. I remember saying, if this doesn't work, I got to go here. What were you thinking you were going to do? Um, I'm a stubborn old git. Okay. I, it, it was never not going to work. Okay. It was going to work one way or the other. Regardless. The, the music thing was going to happen. You know, if, if, if I had not... Um, started to develop my sound, you know, and be a producer of music. I probably would have um, sought employment at a studio in London. Psalm West was, you know, was a um, big place at the time, Air Studios, and just gone in as a tape op. I don't care if I have to make tea, whatever it is, I'm just going to learn. I'm going to just absorb everything that I'm around. And then maybe have gone down just purely the sound engineering route. Uh, or maybe that would have then sort of developed into mastering. I don't know. Who knows? But I was not going to not achieve or succeed some something within music. It's the only thing I know how to do, if I'm honest. I was crap at everything else at school. What do you mean you were crap? <laughs> Pretty decent at sport. But music was really the only thing that I was naturally able to do and go, actually, I'm fine. I'm all right at this. Everything else was hard. Everything else was, you know, very tricky. It was work. It was work. It was real work. I it mean, was real work. Music is not, let, me, let me clarify to everybody at home, everyone. You know, I say music is not work or work. When you love what you do, and he'll tell you the same, it's never work. 
it's it, you just love what you do. It's a career. But when you got to go punch a clock for somebody and do something you hate, that's a whole other story. It's a whole other story. Um, and I think as well, I think on on that when people, you know, sort of they'll message you on Facebook, or whatever, and go, oh, you know, you're living the dream. And you go, let me just explain this timeline. Go ahead. You know, 30 years, the last few years has been pretty dreamy, but the 20 before that was some of the most difficult, most challenging years in the history of all challenging years. You know, when you're you're trying to make ends meet and you've, the door goes and you think, who's that? Is that a debt collector because I haven't paid my tax thing? Or, you know, and you're you're trying to shut all that out whilst focusing on trying to get this music thing working. Right. Um, you know, it's, there's, I mean, we could go on for hours on, you know, what happened before the visible Richard Earnshaw thing happened in terms of. Well, then sum it up for Richard, sum it up for us. Cause people need to know the realness of it. And that's what makes this show true house stories. Well, I, think, I mean, let's, let, let's go for, let's choose something simple like food, for example. You go. Yeah. Now, I can shop in the farm shops and buy organic stuff. I can go to Goodwood and get my meat. I can go to, because I love cooking. Okay. I I can buy the highest quality of ingredients and make great food that I can then feed my family with. You know, but when I was starting out, sometimes I I wouldn't be able to eat the whole day. I'd go literally the whole day without eating because I couldn't afford to buy any food that day. And then the next day, I might think, oh, I'm really lucky. I've got some baked beans. I'll have that with a bit of toast, or I've got some noodles or something, which is, you know, and it, that's, that's all I could afford. Uni food, as they call it. Yeah, properly, proper uni food. But still, there's that sort of, that focus. Ramen, like, this is temporary. The water. He put the water with the ramen, put the top on, let it get warm, and then eat and feel full and get back in the studio yeah. again. Exactly. You know, you, you would do whatever you could just to scrape by um, with that focus of like, it's only temporary. We're going to, we're, we're, we're going to be okay eventually. And then you have those, um, you know, you need a little bit of luck along the way. You know, that, that little opportunity that perhaps you weren't looking for, but it's like, Oh, hello. That's interesting. Let's just, let's go with that. You know, and you know, the success is like you might get that opportunity to do that one remix and they offer to pay you basically in food vouchers. <laughs> you know, it's like, we'll give you a few quid just so you can feed yourself and you do that remix. But that just happens to be the remix that blows everything that you've ever done out of the water. And you go, that's the one. That is, that's the moment I can go back to that is the, the, the foundation, you know, the the real solid foundation like for for Richard Earnshaw people are people was that foundation it was that record that then I built from that because it was such a a, a successful record which even to this day blows my mind how something so simple just a groove with some guitars and a vibe was you know was caught on but it was the thing that I had that allowed me to then go right, I, this is this is it. This is the foundation now. You know, the, the size of the house, literally, that I build on top of this foundation can be anything that I want it to be now. 
because that is that is solid. And that pretty much wraps that up. And that's awesome because people don't really get it. That that sacrifice you made. You made sacrifices in order to make it in this game. You know? Totally. But every you know, everyone makes sacrifices one way or the other. No, 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 no. Some people take what I call the easy way out. They go work for the man. They complain their whole lives till they retire. <laughs> I have friends like that who have complained every day. I hate my job. I hate my life. I hate my wife. I hate this. I hate. And they don't ever see anything good of what they contribute out of it. Children are doing their healthy. They take everything for granted because. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the knack or the, you know, or the muster to step out of that comfort and go the direction you were talking about. Mm. Chance. Because that's not everybody makes it, brother. You know that. You said the magic word, luck. And also, as much as a bit of luck, I think, you know, life experiences. I lost my dad when I was 25. So it was in 2000. So literally the year that I made the people are people record and you can obviously grief has a, you know, it kind of manifests itself in very, very different ways, which still to this day, you know, is a very difficult thing to kind of process and sort of cope with. But at the time I was like, I have to somehow harness something positive out of this unbelievably horrible experience. Mm. And it was most in the most part, it wasn't necessarily I'm going to make a record and it's going to be really big. It was more of a that is a stark reminder that there is only one life. We don't get a second chance to just kind of go, well, I messed that up, I'll do it again. There is, you have to, you've got one opportunity. And I thought, you know what? Whatever it is that happens from here on out. When it's my turn, when I get down to the end of the road and I look back at the road that I've just been up, I can go, do you know what? That was the fucking best ride ever. <laughs> yeah. And that's me. I'm signing out. That's it. I'm done. And that was the thing for me. I realised it's like, I don't want to get to, I don't want to plan for retirement and then, you know, just basically wait away in beige flippers and just go, oh, that's great, isn't it? You know, we'll work for our retirement. Let's enjoy our lives now. You know, I was like, no, enjoyment starts now and continues for the entire period, whatever that length of period is. And that's that was the thing that I got from it. So, again, that ties in with the whole, I'm not going to let this not work because I knew that it would, it would make me really happy. And then if it made me really happy, then it would make the people around me really happy because happy is so contagious. You know, when people are happy and they're positive and they've got a real energy, it is so contagious. And people around you go, oh, fuck me. He's well happy. I should be happy as well. Why are you so happy? It's like, well, do you know what? It's quite an easy thing to achieve. You just got a da 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 And they go, light bulb, bing. You know? And then it's just so, it's like spread more of that stuff around and just lots more people will be much happier. But for me... It came out of a very traumatic experience. Yeah, right. You know, sometimes it was it was darkness. I always say sometimes a dark moment will have light come out of it, as much as it's dark. It's crazy. Well, it's 
for some it's it's quite hard to 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 see it and i totally understand how some people need other people to help them find that path out of it but for me it was almost like a reaction as a, as opposed to a response i normally respond to things in life you know i, I take time to process stuff and then i respond to it but that was definitely a reaction that yeah. was like right shit I want to make sure that I that I don't regret. You know, there are no regrets. You know, I really regret. I have. Were you devastated when your dad died, or was it just a knockback for you? Oh, it was. It was. It was beyond devastation. I mean, it was. You know, as a as the eldest son, a guy who I admired and looked up to, and sort of subliminally wanted to show that I could make it in the thing that I was doing. And just at that point where you've come out of the, the you know, the, the real mess of the floor and you're starting to make things work and think, oh, you know, you want to make your parents proud. And then you, just as you get to the point where you think, I'm going to, it's, it's happening. And then it's like, gone. And suddenly you're just like, wow, now what? What am I going to do now? And so the, I think that's where the reaction to go, well, I know that somewhere up there he's having a beer at the bar with a big man and he's proud of what I'm doing, but I never got the chance for him to tell me or to show him. And so it's my job now to be proud of my own achievements and to then show my own children one day um, that, you know, you know, to, 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 to give them the same encouragement and just to, and to be, and as a parent as well, it, you know, it affected me. It made me realise, like, oh, you know, I could be just out on my on my mountain bike one day, and I could just hit a massive gap jump, crash into a tree, and break my neck. Yeah, that's not a cool way to go. Well, actually, you know, if, if there's going to be a way to go, that's probably quite a cool way to go. But um, you know, it's you, you doing what I do as a job now means I am always here when I'm not. You know, one of the, the things about the pandemic to spend so much time with them and to help them through. And be there, you know, every minute of every hour of the day. I wasn't traveling off somewhere and DJing. I was at home. Daddy was at home all the time, you know, and hopefully when they get to their late teens, early twenties, and they decide that they want to move out into the world, they will then look back with a positive um, retrospect and go, do you know what? There was so much about that period that. I now understand is so beneficial. They might not understand it now because all they care about is food in their faces, a nice clean bed. You know, can they play with their mouth? Sure, it's the simple things. You know, so it's um, you know, all of this stuff. It's just the whole life experience. That's and that's what comes out in the music as well. You know, it's to be inspired to write about certain things and express your experiences um, is all about that. You're right. Now, here's the thing about your kids. Comparing to how you grew up, okay, do you see the difference in our generations that we were thinking about occupation, working towards the goal? We were kind of, you know, there was treatments involved with us. A lot of us, like our families would say, you got to be a lawyer. In your case, mom and dad are both musically background. So they were saying, you know, piano this, get your stuff there. 
do you see the kids seeing it the same way like we were seeing it back then? Or do you see them kind of like because of the now thing and everything is now in their face, you know, YouTube, everything is you can be like this with not pushing away. Do you see that? Do they understand what it really takes to work to become the way you became? I think that it's fair to say that, you know, that the the kids nowadays definitely have a much more eclectic range of aspirations. You know, when I was 12, 13 years old, there was never any chance of me saying, I want to be a YouTuber or I want to be an influencer. I, you know, there's there's such a crazy and diverse level of stuff out there for them to potentially be able to do. But my boys are, you know, they're, they're eight and 11. So, you know, they're playing, they're sports. It's sports, 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 sports. They're loving their sports. Both of them are having piano lessons. Um, and they are both very gifted little musicians. In particular, um, Harry, being a bit older, he's able to listen. He plays by ear. So he'll listen to something. So he'll listen to some Coldplay, for example. And then he'll sit at a piano and you'll go, is this how it goes? <laughs> I'm like, don't yeah. you love that? Don't you just love that? Like you didn't have to do it. He just hears and goes, boom, 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 boom. And you're like, oh. it's, you know, and it's, it's, incredible. it's, it's incredible to see, you know, of course they moan about it. Both of them, you know, it's like, oh, piano. Blah. I'm like, look, I don't mind you having a bit of time on Fortnite or doing this or doing that. All I'm asking you is to do a little bit something for me as well. And, you know, explaining to them the, the benefits of learning a music instrument aren't about being able to play the musical instrument. It's about the process of how you get to the point where you can play it. The amount of effort, the determination, the time, you know, everything that goes in to be able to, you know, you put your fingers on a piano for the first time and it's like, I'm never, ever going to be able to play like daddy can play. And I'm like, yes, you can. It's Pretty just... Good. You've got to be patient and work at it. And then when you realize that you can play like I can play and you understand how much work has gone into achieving that level of ability, you will then understand that if you perhaps want to seek a profession as a professional athlete, for example, you will be able to realize how much dedication it takes to get to that level. It's it transcribes across all disciplines as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's um, because when you do get to a certain point, not only can you, but others too, can then enjoy the fruits of your labor. Very true. A real light bulb moment for people, I think, especially with children, they go, they really love what I'm doing. So if they want to go off and do something else, they might just remember, oh, you know, I had to work really, really hard at the piano for a few months or a couple of years whatever, to get to this point. So potentially it might take me the same amount of time to be really good as a horse rider or it might be take me that much time to be really good at riding a unicycle or whatever it is, you know, all these things. It's, that, it's the process of effort and time, patience and achievability and then ultimately results. Well, I will say this, if I remember correctly, and they had did studies on the piano, people who studied a musical instrument, especially piano, they said it helped with mathematician work, problem solving, because you use a 
different part of the front lobe that you normally don't use because you learn how to read advanced. As you're reading advanced, then you're playing. So you're reading advanced and you're playing. So you're, you're problem solving on the spot, you know, when you're doing sight reading as you're learning this. And as the better you get, the better your conceptual vision is to picking up on things. It just broadens you. So it helps you like, like, like pushing those weights or riding a bike. The more you do it, the more stronger you get, the better shape you get. It's just like anything in life. And, um, of course, but with you, you know, it's been very beneficial to have that piano training as we see. And you, you sound like your parents now with your kids. You do this for me. And it's yeah. fun. You sound just like them now. You, you want, right. want it repeating it without realizing it because you're doing it because you know it's the right thing. You know, it's I crazy. I find myself, you know, often thinking to myself, God, I sound like I my sound dad. Just like them. <laughs> or I sound like my mom. And you think, well, do you know what? They did a pretty good job. So, you know. I can only just pass on, you know, what I've learned from them and from well, from everyone and every person I meet. You know, it's one of the one of the beautiful things about DJing is that I've had the privilege to travel the world and meet some incredible people, made some friends, experienced some amazing things. You know, and it it all it all is on the big sponge. Absorb it all, mostly in the hair. Um, and I use that as 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 a means to inspire myself when I'm in this room. Just sort of might just turn on the JXAP and just you know faff around yeah. with that for a little bit. Jam out. But here's just, here's a couple of questions I want you to clarify to some people. You, the door you use, okay, when you're playing the writing production guy, all right, and then the mixer. How do you? separate yourself to become the mastering guy to be able to master your own stuff or do you master your own stuff you know i i treat all three processes very very separately so when i'm making the music um it's perhaps you know a bit more frantic and i'm enjoying the the tactile nature of you know playing all this business here and you know i've got some more over there as well Look at that, everybody. Look at his room. And it's all, it's all just. is heaven. <laughs> it's just you're getting involved with everything and, and, and literally feeling the instruments as you're playing them. And then I get to the mixing side, which I'll probably do. I'll, I'll leave space. And then when I get to the mixing side, it's definitely specs on, you know, I'm there just like, hmm, I'm just going to work on this clap for a few days and make sure that it's all right, you know, and, and it's there's just a different a whole different part of my brain just switches into gear, and in the same way, when I'm happy with where I've got it to, and I'm like, right, I think this is ready to go to master. Um, I'll leave it for a day or two, um, and even if I get to final mix within Logic, which is what I use, sometimes I might mix into Pro Tools, but more often than not, I'm quite happy with the results that I've got in Logic. But I always master in pro tools purely because Why? visually visually it's a i'm looking at a different environment and that helps my brain think differently about what i'm doing technically with the audio that i've got so it's just again it's taking the time you know if anybody says i started in the morning i made a record i mixed it and i mastered it i'm just like brilliant nice one i bet it sounds great 
but it sounds fabulous. Um, yeah. you know, I think that it's sorry. You know, for that. <laughs> you've got to you've got to just take just take the time. You know, enjoy m- making music. It's not a rush. It's not a race at all. You know, it's um, you get so much more out of it when you you put so much into it. And you, you know, you you you're literally draining out your emotions and your experiences into the equipment, and it spits it all back at you. And when you can listen to that and just go, oh, that's it's that just feels and sounds exactly how I wanted it to. And that's what I say. And there you have it, right there. You just say that's it in a in a nutshell. Who do you send your stuff to when you need that, you know, someone to be bipartisan, but yet be real with you and not be fanny, you know, in that sense of, oh, we love everything you do. No, 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 Richard, this is not cutting it. But, <laughs> well, um, my business partner. I have my friends that tell me straight up. They're like, nah, hated it. Go ahead. Well, Dan, Dan will, will always um, listen to stuff uh, very objectively. He's my business partner since day dot. Um, and then there's Bamo, Mark Bamford, who I do all the spirit chaser stuff with. So there's two of us there. So we're constantly bouncing um, ideas. And, you know, very often I, if I get caught up with something, Mark will just sort of tap me on the shoulder and just go, fucking just get on with it, will you? you? It's boring me now. Let's just crack on with the next thing. And you go, okay, done, line drawn, off you go. Right. Um, so, you know, and there's, I, there's, there's so many people that I will always bounce things off. You know, if it's like a demo mix that I feel is good enough to be played out, might give it to a couple of people and say, look, it's just a little something. It's not finished yet, but just give it a bounce when you're playing at the weekend and and see how it sounds. And then, you know, giving feedback, a bit like you might have done all those years ago and you think, oh, is this ready to commit all that money to just yet? I tell you what, I'm just going to get a dub plate done. I'm going to give it to so-and-so, play it out, see how it goes. You know, you're only going to get what eight, nine, ten plays out of a dub plate at best at top quality. Um, so it's not like they're going to run off with it and suddenly manufacture loads of it because you could tell immediately if it has been. Um, so it's 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 important to have you know a, a sounding board or three um, sort of close by, definitely. Let me shoot this at you. You dealt with A and R people. Was there ever a moment where you were right and they were wrong? Where you knew the record felt right, and they says, "Ah, it's missing this or whatever they, whatever their comments were," and then you gave it to a DJ, and the DJ starts playing the record. The record blows up, and the same A and R person says, "I don't remember hearing that." <laughs> but, <laughs> you almost, know, but you it's know, it's like somebody's that. told you this story. So before. So the, the, the version of People Are People that became the version. Now, the lesser known and lesser played flip side of the record, um, which was called a dub, even though really it was, it was all dubby anyway because there was very little vocal. Um, I sent that in, a, in an earlier version of itself to a label it's called Peppermint Jam. Mm. And the feedback was very, very good, but it's not right. 
I was like, cool, because we'd done the work with the Bosch Lugos thing with Peppermint JMC. So initially I was like, well, you know, they're going to know who I am, so I'll send them this, send them this idea. And so when, with, you know, the feedback, yeah, it's, it's cool, but, you know, it's not really for us. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. And then the, the version of People Are People that became the version was actually two different tracks. So there was a track that I was working on with Dave Morell on the guitar, um, which was, I remember it was, it was entitled Latin Dave. <laughs> That's basically the working title was Latin Dave. Um, and then this flip side with the vocal on it. And I was sitting in the studio one day and I was like, I can't finish either of these tracks. Um, I know what I'll do. I'll pitch all the guitars up a semitone because they're in different keys. And bear in mind, in 2000, 2001, this was a really sketchy thing to be doing because, you know, the tech didn't allow things to happen just like that. And then I blended the two tracks together and that became the main mix of People Are People. Um, and for some reason, I instinctively sent it to Brian because the new version I thought was a little bit more sulfuric than it was anything else. Hmm. And then it got picked up by sulfuric and then oh. it went out and it did very well. And then it was the old awkward phone call from um, Peppermint Jam. Um, not, I might add, who you think was on the phone call. Um, it was an A&R person who had a massive go at me, basically, for signing the record. I go with you. Yeah, and I was like, well, you know. Oh, well, let's reenact the conversation. Reenact the conversation. So the phone rings from Europe, from Germany. Um, I was, they were just like, oh, I can't believe you signed it. I was like, well, I sent it to you and you weren't interested. So, you know, it's all cool. You know, got plenty of stuff on the go. It was almost like, a, um, you know, like the, they missed out on something. Right. It, it happens all the time, you know. It happens all the time with A and R. You know, you, you 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 turn something down. We've done it ourselves. You know, you listen to something, you think, oh, I'm not really sure about this, and then it goes out on another label, and then it does really well, and you think, oh balls! But you know, you can't cry over spilt milk. You just got to go. Maybe I just was was in a bad mood that day, and was wasn't feeling it. Yes. Um, but um, you know, yeah, the A and R thing. Is I mean, there's very few people actually A and Ring anymore in in the you know in the sort of the old school sense of the word. Um, but you know, it's I, I love a good banter with an A and R person. It's great, you know. It's part of the uh, um, process you know, in the sense in the yeah, process. totally. But no, it wasn't. It wasn't a complete. It wasn't a massive drama at all. That particular, um, you know, it, it certainly wasn't. I sent a finished version to a label. And then they turned it down, and then I put it out somewhere else, and it became a worldwide hit. I don't have any uh, sort of sensational stories of that nature. Um, but, um, you know, it, it was certainly an eye-opener for me, just, you know, what happens behind the scenes, behind the vinyl, the product on the shelf, what happens behind all that. You know, who's all these people sitting in offices and, you know, many of them just trying to legitimize their position in a company um, as best as they can. 
you know, which was, uh, you know, oh, I, I'm, I'm an A&R person for so-and-so label. Oh, are you? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, are you really an A&R person for that label? Well, yeah, you know, just, a bit of, just helping out every now and again. You just think that basically you're a bloke that knows a bloke that knows another bloke, you know. Are you on their payroll? No, 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 no. No, no. I'm, <laughs> and, a, junior, I'm a junior A&R in training. And it's, I was just like, just, just tell me what you are from the get-go. I'm, you know, I don't judge anyone, you know. <laughs> and it was all this, you know, I was 20, you know, in my early 20s, just you're sort of experiencing all of this thing in, unfolding in front of me. You know, uh, a whole new world that I had no experience in whatsoever. It was brilliant. It was such an adventure. Well, it's still an adventure because, you know, the, the evolution of the the fabric of the scene is constantly on the shift in one way or another. Sure. Oh, well, give us... It's <laughs> like the awkward silence. Where do we go now? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's... Where do you go now from here? You know, that's yeah. the problem with this whole game now. It's... People, you have to understand something. We're talking about the old setup. Nowadays, if people look in the tick, pick up records, they look at algorithms. Mm. It's crazy. They look at well, how the record's reacting with digital downloads and streaming. So there's really no physical people leading you sometimes to make better records. Mm. That's what I found with really the good A&R people. Yeah. They knew how to pull out the best in us. You know that was I mean? their job. That was their job to, to recognize something Talent. in a product and go, we're going to work with you on this one. But, um, you know, there's far too much of the, if it's not ready to go and it suits, we're not interested. Even if there's something in a record, you think, oh, there's something in this. Let's work with these people. You know, let's, let's really sort of figure out how this is going to play out. Um, but then... You have that in you. You have that in you because you are, uh, uh, you have musicality, you have the understanding of our business, and you know, you can see raw talent. You can hear it. You're not, you know, you're not deaf. You know, you can hear good talent. Well, it's, you know, we, we try to, um, we, we, I think because we're of a, a pre sort of social media streaming generation. And we've seen the pros and cons of how the, you know the, the environment within is, is is changing. There are still values that we hold very dear from the old uh, ways, which we still try to kind of encourage people. Like again, I've said it a few times: but take your time, be patient with the music. If you love the music, it will love you back in the long term, you know, if all you want to do is just chuck stuff out there, you know, I've had emails from people, um, you know, Oh, you know, I've heard your spirit chaser things did really well, blah, blah, blah. I've just realized that you also, you have guest records. I've done this track. I think you'll be the perfect home for this record because I just want to get a top 10 beat port so I can get some gigs. And I'm just like, dude, I, I really admire your enthusiasm. But we're not in the business of trying to accelerate people as quickly as possible to this 
level of whatever it is they're asking for because a lot of the time you don't even know if the record you've got is going to achieve that thing you know we've had um huge successes with records in various territories which we never anticipated would ever happen you know mainstream crossover stuff with house music or soulful deep house whatever you want to call it and it kicked off massively and you think how the fuck did that happen i don't know did we pay someone for this to work or did we? Did it just happen? Was it just a thing? A radio guy played it, and right. then another radio guy went, hey, this is cool, I like this. And then before we know it, all of the radio guys are playing it. And it, then it gets onto A-list, and then suddenly, whoosh, you know, so-and-so wants it for adverts, and so, and then, you know, then it, it almost is like a snowball effect. Yes, yeah, beautiful thing. It's you, a beautiful you just don't know. Still to this day, we don't really know how these things happen. Other than what we can say is that every single crop that beat, every semi-quaver of the process of making that record was something that we enjoyed and something that we really proud of and something that we took time to do. And the rest of it is like, well, that's, again, a bit of luck here and there and a little bit of push and a little bit of that and a bit of this. But, you know, we've always maintained a pride in the product itself, whether it streams to my mum in a living room or to 1 million people or 10 million people, it's still the same thing. Sure. I'm going to have to, I'm going to change the perspective a little bit because my computer's just said, if you don't plug me in, I'm going to run out. So I'm just going to go here now. We're almost at that point where we're going to wrap up, but you know, your, your insight is very helpful to many people that maybe don't really get and understand what it takes to do all this stuff. You know, there's a lot involved. And, you know, I try to tell everyone there's an adage, you're as good as your last record. Meaning, try your best, always. Put your best forward because you just never know what's going to lock in these days or ever, for that matter. No. So you just don't know. You, you don't, you, people said, did you really know? Sometimes you have a gut feeling, but you're not a hundred percent sure. You, you, we're all feeling this is a big one. We're working on it. This is great. And then sometimes something you don't have the same feelings for, but you're putting in the time and effort into it. You say to yourself, "That's oh, pretty good. It's not my best work," and that becomes the de facto record. Yeah, yeah. the platinum is selling record of all time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know the 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 sort of the, the creative process surrounding people or people was, I always look back and just thought, isn't it funny that that one record that really became my sort of my base, my foundation record started off as two different records, which I couldn't finish either of them for some reason. I just, and then I just thought, well, let's just put the two together and see what happens. And then bang, away you go. And then you can put in so much time and effort into a track and you think, oh, I've got a really good feeling about this one. Right. You know, and then and then it gets released and it's like tumbleweed. <laughs> you just think, well, it doesn't matter because I, I, really, I really enjoyed it. I was gonna ask you the next thing. How are you in how how do you how do you deal with this way streaming moves so fast with titles coming in and out of the charts and everything? How do you feel about all that? I mean um, I don't really, um, 
I don't really have a particular feeling about it. You know, it's it's here. It's here to stay, certainly for the foreseeable future. You know, I see, you know, my eldest and his friends, they're using streaming to consume music. Right. Um, I use it myself. Um, and it is a brilliant platform to discover music that perhaps you would never have looked at before because it would have involved going into the shop, speaking to someone that knew something about the music they were selling and then having to buy um, a piece of vinyl or a CD. And if you didn't like what you heard, then if you were lucky, you might be able to get a refund, but very often you just end up with this thing you've spent money on and you don't like it. Right. Um, I think that the the as a consumer using streaming is an incredibly enriching experience. Um, I think that's as a music maker, I I have to always keep that in the forefront to know that my fan base has grown, you know, a hundredfold, if not more, because of streaming, because people are discovering music that I've made or I've collaborated with because they've been listening to something else and the algorithm pops up and goes, oh, you might like Richard Earnshaw. And they probably go, who's this bloke? Stick play and go, wow, I never would have looked for this guy. And then, so they're listening to my music and they're listening to me, essentially. They're listening to a story that I've got to tell. And, you know, that is, it's a wonderful thing to know that people are able to enjoy the time and the effort that you put into music sure. that otherwise would never have even given you a second thought. Oh, That's man. good for them and it's good for me. No, it's I mean, great. you know, the, the whole um, argument of, to say, which we touched on earlier on about, you know, um, royalty rates and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, it just is what it is for a moment. Either, run with it, make it work for you, or just get upset by it. Don't One be angry. Just don't, don't be angry. You know, just don't get angry about it. Just get on with making music. I mean, you know, if somebody loves your music and your fan base and you've worked hard to grow your fan base, they will listen to your music. They might listen to a, a single track on rotation hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. You know, it's... You know, and, and if you've got, you know, 100,000 or 200,000 people or a million people or whatever it is, all doing that, and they are connecting with your expressions, they're connecting with what you've got to say about music, then that's just, I think that's just a brilliant thing all around, quite frankly. Um, and it allows the portability of these experiences. You know, people can go off with their smartphones now, literally and sit in a desert and listen to your music. Right. Long you know? So, for example, I, I'll, there's a, I had a message from um, a British Army soldier uh, two or three years ago now, and he messaged me on Facebook. He said, I've just got back from my second tour of Afghanistan. Oh, wow. Uh, and he said, I just want to let you know that having your music, you know, on, on his phone um, played a massive part in helping him keep his shit together whilst he's in the middle of a desert getting shot at. <laughs> and you think to yourself, well, that's a pretty amazing thing. So for that alone, thanks to technology, you yeah. know, his, yeah. his time could have been very different. 
if it, if it wasn't for technology. Sure. So I think, like you say, you can't get angry about this stuff. Yeah, sure, we can all talk about 0.000 whatever percent of this, that, and the other. It's like, you know, the picture's bigger than that. Yeah, of course, we all need to make a living, but there are ways that you can make a living outside of the Spotify argument. I'll tell you how I do it. I get my squeeze box out with my monkey. I mean, all kidding aside, you have to, you have to just move with the times. You do, you do. Like the guy who made the steam engine, I was just that it won't work. It just doesn't. That's not what people want anymore. You have to move, and it's a constantly changing world now technology is moving at a speed of light that is it's just as you get to know this technology they're on to something else you know you just got to make it work for you what's i think oh what where are you going with everything now covid's going to us well um we one of the things that i've taken from this sort of you know this drought of djing over the last year or so um, is that it's really helped me rethink how I'm making music. So to summarize as quickly as possible, you know, man makes record, man makes, you know, a, a record that becomes really, really popular. And that same man then has 20 years of making music and DJing all over the world and really enjoys himself and has a nice time. And then pandemic comes along. And then I've got all this, all these records, and I'm thinking, oh, fuck these, these. Well, there aren't any dance floors now, and now the music's not working. Right. And I was like, now, I never, I never used to feel like this. What happened? And I realised that the distraction of um, performing the records was kind of hampering my creative flow a little bit. You know, I didn't want to become a make music by numbers producer. And but it kind of felt a little bit like that. So I was like, right, okay, well, I can't go out and DJ and play this music to a crowd of people, whether it's a bar or a massive club, whatever. So I'm now going to just make music like I used to when I was 15. So zero fucks, music on, bosh. The arrangements started to sound so much more silky. Everything was really starting to flow. And I was like, oh, so it's been a you know a really creative period the last few weeks. Um, New Spirit Chaser album is nearly finished. I can't wait for people to hear how we've really twisted the concept of what a deep house act stroke album can sound like. Um, I've got a number of collaborations on the bubble. Um, I've got two albums I'm working on. One of them is uh, kind of like a mini LP, more like an extended EP in a way. There's only seven tracks on it. But okay. that's going to be very interesting because that's literally where I've thrown all my conventional instruments straight out the window and gone back to that period where I really didn't care what music I was making. There's a okay. consistency in composition and there's a consistency in sound. But this particular project has house. It has screwed up time signature breakbeat stuff. It's got drum and bass on it. So that's I'm really really excited to see what the reaction to that will be, wow. but I'm going to stop on the blow with potentially people going what with a more conventional Richard Earnshaw album, which will um, okay. filter in next year. 
Um, so yeah, there's loads of exciting stuff going on. This new thing, this inner spirit sort of sort of alter ego thing that I've got going on, which is like deep Afro, soulful, whatever. Um, working on a load of that stuff, obviously, uh, Addicted is out at the moment, and it's been doing really, really well. Um, but yeah, it just I'm just enjoying the the music making process um, in a very, very different way at the moment. And I think it's for the better, if I'm honest. That's good. It really is. You know, it's like, in a, in a way, I'm, I'm making the version I want to make first, and then I will think about how I'm going to rearrange that to work on the dance floor. Right. Whereas when you're DJing all the time, you tend to work with the dance floor version first and then go, how am I going to get this to work on Spotify? It's actually it's actually more difficult that way around, I've discovered. For me, anyway, I find it a lot easier now the other way around. Yep. So it's, um, yeah, good times, you know, lots of music to come, busy, busy, you know, just looking forward to getting back out onto the dance floors as soon as it's, uh, it's possible, really. Any gigs yet locked in? Do you have anything starting yet? Or are people starting to talk to you? There are, there are conversations. I'm playing on Friday. No, I'm not. Uh, Saturday, apologies. I'm playing in London for um, a place at the gallery. Um, oh, okay. With, which is a like a, it's a bar, restaurant, brunch kind of vibe. So it's going to be very, very slick, really nice. Then next weekend... Um, Friday, we're doing our first eye culture in oh, London. Wow. Um, at the W Hotel in West End. So drop into the socials on the usual platforms to get the details if you're up for that. Um, then Saturday, I'm playing with Mudina at a place down in Plymouth. Um, and then on the Sunday, we're doing the same venue, but a spirit chaser, myself and Mark. So it's a, it's a long weekend next weekend. but Because right, of the Bank Hartley weekend. It is the bank holiday weekend, but it's just really nice to see the the venues, the promoters, and the DJs and the and the and the punters feeling more confident about getting involved. And you know, I'm I'm really hoping that it's everything goes really smoothly and people are still, you know, because it's going to be tricky. Some people have not been able to go out for over a year, you know, and that can be quite a uh, quite a prospect to throw yourself back into the lion's den socially um so it's in a way i i, I suppose it's quite a good thing that the bars and the, and the pubs are able to open first and just you know no one wants to go straight into sixth gear um so I just, do. well <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm joking i'm joking of course i'm ready you know, Every, everyone's ready. I think everyone's ready. I think we've just got to, you know, we, we I think everybody literally has, <laughs> everyone's done so well. Tired of this camera shit already, everybody. I want to see real people and yeah, yeah people like again because we're allowed to hug now. We can hug people. Oh, really? Yeah, there's going to be so much hugging going on. Honestly, That's the, this is what I try to explain to everybody in this music thing. 